Hey y'all, and welcome back to another episode of In Killing Color. This is episode number 25, and today we are going to talk about an Atlanta socialite and her untimely demise. Her name is Lita McClinton. I'm not sure if you've heard about her, but if you haven't, by the end of this episode, you will. Let's get to it. These are their stories. Lita McClinton, born on January the 7th, 1952, was an elegant lady who grew up in the beautiful Atlanta mansion with her well-to-do family. She was actually one of those ladies who was the girl that turned heads when they stepped in the room. I know we hear that a lot on podcasts and it's usually not true, but for Lita, it was very true because she was beautiful. She lived in Buckhead, Georgia. That's where all the girls and the rich people live. And she was very, very important there. Most of the African-American families there during that time were very well off and her family was no different from them. Elegant and classy. She was a debutante and her parents groomed her to be a socialite from a very young age. Her mom was a state rep and her dad was a high ranking official with the Department of Transportation. Lita eventually graduated from high school and she went to Spelman College. And you know, for a lot of black women, that is the mecca of black colleges, aside from A&T, but we're not gonna talk about that right now. (laughs) And while she was there, she majored in political science. After she graduated, She kind of started navigating her life in Atlanta as a newly graduated woman, but her real passion was actually fashion. She landed a job as a manager at a high-end boutique in Buckhead, and that was where she met a man named Jim Sullivan. He was a very well-off man who promised her the best of everything in life, better than what she already had. So, you know, it was like, hey, why not? I like to be kept, so let's be kept. You know what I'm saying? Now, the difference between her and Jim was that they were polar opposites. Jim was 10 years older than her and not like it's a big deal now, but back in the 70s, it was a big deal. Jim was also a white man. When he met her, he did have money, but he didn't always come from money. He was from Boston, Massachusetts, and he grew up in an Irish, basically in the hood up there, and he made his own money after his uncle passed away and left him a business. He took that business, sold it, and got millions and millions of dollars, and that's how he ended up with his fortune. So he took that money, moved to Atlanta, and ran into Lita. So for Jim, he was from new money, but Lita was from, I already been about that money. She helped him fit into high society and looked the part and just kind of fit in like he was supposed to. And he loved that for himself, not necessarily for both. He really loved that for himself. He felt like Lita was the woman of his dreams and also his ticket into the fabulous, glamorous life that he had been dying to get into. Now, once Lita went to her parents and told her, hey, uh, hey, y'all, this is my new man. This is Jim. His, her parents were like, oh, no, girl, we don't like this. When she announced that they were going to get married, her dad was like, nope. Not only was that going to be an interracial marriage in the South in the 70s, he was 
not up to par. Like, you know, socialite people look for other socialite people and they know when somebody is on that level. And her parents knew that Jim was not on her level and they didn't like it. But at the end of the day, they just wanted their daughter to be happy. So they decided to support her and Jim's union as supportive parents would do. So they planned this lavish wedding. They had all of these things going. And then the night before her wedding, Jim pulled the ultimate okie doke. He pulls out a prenuptial agreement. A prenuptial agreement. Now for Lita, it was like, I know you fucking lying because Lita already had money. She didn't need a dime from this man. She already had money. But you know, she was in love. Okay, she was in love. She signed it anyway. And that was that. So later on that night, here comes Jim with another bomb. Oh, by the way, I used to be married and I have four kids. Excuse me. Sir, you didn't want to tell me about your ex-wife and your kids prior to you asking me to marry you? No, you you didn't think that was important? I guess not. But a little background on Jim and his wife. Um, Once he got the money, she wasn't really interested in all that. She just wanted to be with Jim. And he was on like super clout chase status. So she told him, you know, money's not going to buy happiness. He was like, I don't give a fuck. It's going to buy something. So she said, "Mm, do what you got to do. She took her kids, divorced him and stayed where she was. And Jim left. Looked like homegirl got out right at the right time because she knew what type of time Jim was on. And I ain't mad at it, okay? So, the wedding went and they had a fairy tale wedding. And Lita was just 24 years old and Jim was 34. Most people were actually shocked that Lita even went through with the marriage because why would you tell her that the night before the wedding, give her a prenuptial the night before the wedding, and expect everything to just go off without a hitch? Like, "Mm, okay, well. It's giving very much shady vibes, but had Lita perhaps not been love blind, she maybe could have saved herself in the end. So after the wedding, Jim wanted to get a change of scenery. So he decided to move them to Palm Beach, Florida. And now the part that was, I guess, awkward about that is because Jim moved into an area off of Ocean Boulevard and his street how street excuse me the house's name was actually Casa Elena now most of the neighbors on that street were like high-ranking government officials a few celebrities things like that so this neighborhood and street was like the elite elite area of Palm Beach and when he got there and moved in he thought hey we made it baby we in here but there was a huge difference between that elite and Atlanta's elite Lita was elite in Atlanta where the rest of the black people were elite in Florida she was just another black lady with a rich white man and they did not like her they treated her like an outcast people would come by the house and when she answered the front door they'd be like oh is the lady of the house at home Lita you from Buckhead you better let these hoes know I am the lady of the house. Thank you. But she might have. I don't know. I wasn't there, but not the disrespect straight at the front door. So Jim got to the point where he kind of started treating her like that, too. 
they would go out to places and he would just introduce her like, oh, hey, this is Lita. Not, hey, this is my wife, Lita. It was just, oh, hey, what's up? This Lita. So Lita was like, you know what? I'm out of here. So after about one year in Florida, she decided to convince him to buy her another house back in Buckhead, which he did. And then she started spending more and more time up there with her friends and family away from him and left Jim in uh, Florida to kind of just do what he wanted to do. Just like, you know, and I ain't got time for this. You ain't better treat me bad. I'm going to go back to where I'm appreciated, respected, and adored, okay? So there, Jim was trying to still work his way around these social circles. And at the end of the day, Jim just did not have the it factor it took to break into these circles. He then started blaming Lita for his not being able to fit in there. He started talking shit, treating her bad, and blaming on her being a black girl, and that was the reason why he couldn't make it in the popular circle. No, Jim, this is actually your fault because you're not that girl. You are not that girl. So while Lita was back in Atlanta living her life, not really worried about Jim, he started dating white ladies down there. And he thought that these white ladies were gonna be the ones that would help him get into those areas he was trying to get in. He was a serial cheater and per the serial cheater norm, he just started buying stuff for Lita so that she would stay with him because he really wanted to stay with her because if she left, he wanted her to leave on his terms, not when she felt like it. He wanted her to be gone in the ways that he wanted her to be gone. So then this is when he came up with the amazing idea of, hey, here is a post nuptial agreement which is the opposite of a prenuptial agreement. So not only did she have a prenup, but he made her sign a postnup that stated that if they got divorced, she would only get $2,500 a month in alimony. Now, what the fuck was that supposed to do for her? $2,500? Lita is a extravagant, elegant girl. She's gonna need more than that. But just like the prenup, she signed it because she really loved him and she wanted their marriage to work ultimately. But after one month, he was back on his stupid shit. So Lita was like, you know what? I'm done with this. She gave that man eight years of her life and it was worth nothing. So she left him, moved back to Atlanta and filed for a divorce. Now, we all know how divorces go with rich people. It's all about property separation, money, things like this. And she basically wanted to get exactly what she was due because she gave this man eight years of her life. And Jim was like, nah, it's not happening. He was absolutely mad at her. And he decided in his head that she wasn't going to get a goddamn dime. After he had said in his prenuptial and postnuptial that she would get a coin, since she left him, he said, nope, you're not going to get nothing. So then that's when he started plotting. On January the 16th, 1987, Lita was at her house in Atlanta and she was getting ready to go meet Jim at their lawyer's office so they could go over some property division, money, things like that when she heard the doorbell ring. She came down to answer it and there was a delivery man at the door with a box and some flowers. So, you know, women love flowers. She was like, oh, hey. She opened the front door. The man was like, hey, are you Lita McClinton? She said yes. He then handed her the box of flowers, and all while he was handing her the box of flowers, he pulled out a 9mm handgun and shot her directly point blank in the head. She fell, then the man came into the house and shot her again 
and then he took off running. The police came soon after, and when they entered the house, they found the whole scene to be pretty disturbing and pretty at the same time. And the reason I say that is because, like I said earlier, Lita was a really pretty, beautiful woman. So for there to be a woman in a flowing robe on the ground, bleeding from multiple spots on her head with roses on the ground, it's kind of like a, I guess you would call it like a morbid beauty. I'm not sure if that's the appropriate term, but that's what it sounds like. Now, the whole Atlanta upper class scene was very shocked because who would do that to Lita? And why would you do that to her? She's never done anything to anybody. She was the buckhead sweetheart. Everybody loved her. Who would want to do that to her? Now, there was a few witnesses who said that they saw the man and they heard the actual shooting, but they could not place the face of who it was. Now, her best friend whose name is Poppy, was upstairs helping her get dressed when she heard the gunshot. But she was upstairs and she didn't come down because she didn't know what was going on. So she came down after she called the police. Police came and Poppy was the one to have to call Lita's parents to break the news to them that their lovely daughter had been unalived. Now, obviously, the first person they're going to reach out to is her estranged husband, Jim. Because, hey, it's obvious. We were getting ready to get divorced. We were going for a divorce proceeding that day. Why wouldn't he have done it? But when they talked to Jim, he had a rock-solid alibi. Although Jim was supposed to have been in Atlanta, in Atlanta, he wasn't even there. He was still in Florida. And guess what he was doing in Florida? He was actually on a date with a new lady. The nerve. <laughs> He was on a date with a Florida socialite named Suki. Suki was an Asian American woman who had been divorced three times. And she was the one that looked the appropriate part to get him into those social circles. Even though she was Asian, according to them, it was better than him being with a black lady. And you know, it's exactly what it sounded like in 87. And that definitely goes to speak on how black women are looked down in classy situations over anybody else just because they're black, even if they are miles and miles ahead of everybody else. But that's a whole another topic. And I ain't doing that today with y'all. So eight months later, Jim married Suki. And once he married her, that's when his status in the Palm Beach area skyrocketed. Suki was a great networker and she knew the right people, the right places to be and the right time to do it. So throughout all this time, three years had passed and Lita's case had actually gone cold. But that was until Jim got pulled over for a minor traffic violation. And then things got real, 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 real fast. Now he was just supposed to pay the ticket and go on about his way. But he wanted to be a little bit difficult. He decided to get his wife, Suki, to lie and say that she was driving the car so that she could get the ticket and not him because he didn't want anybody looking into his affairs. So she said that she would. And then they went to court. The officer who pulled him over was not there. So they, Suki said she did what she did. She got off. They did whatever they had to do. And they got in a little bit of trouble, but not a lot. The officer then... The officer, excuse me, that pulled them over came back and said, wait, that's not who I pulled over. 
he clocked them both. And now, Sookie was charged with perjury, and Jim got put on house arrest for 18 months. But Sookie did not get house arrest. Now, here's when some things get a little convoluted, if you will. For some reason, a random confidential informant comes forward and says that he has information on Jim. The information that the CI gave the court system was so legit that they immediately went and got a warrant to search Jim's home. And when they did, they found guns. They found like a little diary. They found lots of things that he wasn't supposed to have in the house. So then he got another year of house arrest tagged onto his 18 months already. And after that happened, Jim and Sookie's relationship immediately fell apart. Sookie wasn't on house arrest, so she was still out going to her functions and carrying on. And Jim was very, very upset that she was just carrying on like her life hadn't changed. Guess what, Jim? It hasn't. Yours has. Sookie was that girl. You were not. You're locked up in the house. She is not. The grind don't stop, big dog. It does not. (laughs) Once that happened, she started noticing his old ways coming out. And as a classy woman, Sookie said, I don't have to deal with that. I'm gone. And she divorced him. Now, once they were in court and they were going back and forth about things, Sookie decided to spill the perpetual tea on Jim's ass. She told the court that Jim told her that he had Lita murdered by somebody and he said that she told her, he told her, I got rid of one of my wives before and I'll do the same to you. I guess that Irish thug came on out, didn't it? Because everybody in court was shocked. Everybody. And that was the break they needed to move forward with the case. So, fast forward two years, And they were a subpoena. They got a subpoena for Jim's phone records. And they found out that Jim had been making and receiving calls from somebody in Atlanta around the same time that Lita was murdered. Jim was started calling his neighbors and people that were close around the house asking, did you hear anything this morning? And they're like, here's something. What are you talking about? And it was weird because Jim had never called his neighbors or done anything like that. So he's literally telling on himself and Everybody's like, what are you doing? Now, they also noticed that there were some calls from a local hotel, which was about 40 minutes away from where they lived. And he noticed that there was a call made before, 40 minutes before Lita was killed and about 50 or 60 minutes after she was killed. Okay. And then they went through his little, remember I said they picked up some diaries. They started going through his diaries. And he was literally writing down things. Days before her murder, he was writing, get flowers, get pistol. And on the literal day of her murder, he wrote down, celebrate and caviar with babe. (laughs) I ain't never. I ain't. Celebrate and caviar. Let me just make sure I get some caviar because I've killed my wife, you guys. And you thought you was going to get away with it. (laughs) So when it came back to the ammo and stuff, they still couldn't charge Jim with the unaliving of Lita because they just didn't have enough actual concrete evidence to do so. So then he got charged with violating some interstate commerce laws with those phone calls 
because they really don't know what the calls were in like pertaining to the judge really wanted to charge him for that because the you know, they very well could have been talking about, well, you need to go to the house. Did they kill her, kill her? But there was no recordings. So there was literally no proof. So the judge had no choice but to drop the charges for Lita's murder and Jim was free to go. However, the cops didn't want to give up just yet because they knew Jim was responsible. But the thing that they did not know was who was the person who actually shot her. Now, we're going to fast forward to 1997. The girlfriend of the person who shot Lita came forward. She was watching TV on, I think it may have been Unsolved Murders or something, and she saw Lita's case. She remembered a conversation with her boyfriend at the time. So she called in a tip to the cops and said to her boyfriend, said that her boyfriend, a man named Tony Harwood, was the one who did it. She said that she was at a restaurant with him one night when Jim came in and gave him an envelope full of money. She said he did it, he paid him to do it, and that's what that happened. And now people were like, well, how did Jim even know Tony? Tony moved Lita and Jim into their Buckhead house. And while they were moving, he just kind of casually, casually said something like, I wish I could find somebody to kill my wife. And Tony was like, shit, for the right money, I got you. And that's how they set that up. He was calling Tony setting up all these things from Florida and Tony was supposed to go do it. So the day that was actually supposed to be the day Lita died was on January the 13th. Now they said Tony went to her house around five something in the morning. That was his first mistake. Nobody's going to answer their front door at five o'clock in the morning, especially a lady living alone. So he went to the door and she didn't answer it. So he said, well, I'm just going to come back. So then back when I just said a little bit ago about uh, Jim calling the neighbors and asking, did they hear anything? He called the neighbors later that day on the 13th. So he basically was telling on himself, if you can remember what I said. So then Tony's girlfriend says to the police that that same day, Tony came back home and was like, hey, I got a scenario for you. If you were trying to get through to a lady that wouldn't open the front door. How would you get a lady to open your door? And the girlfriend said, I mean, you could probably try flowers. That may work. Girl, you might as well be an accessory because you done gave the man an idea. So then on the 16th of January, Tony went back to Lita's house at a respectable eight o'clock in the morning with flowers. And then he completed the job and he was on his way to waiting for the $25,000 that Jim promised him for doing this. So they arrested Tony and after they got Tony locked up, then they went to look for Jim's ass. Jim's attorney found out that he was being looked into and gave Jim a heads up and suggested that he turn himself in. But Jim was like, turn in, <laughs> hell no, I'm out of here. 
and Jim went on the run for four years. He went to Europe, he went to Spain, he went to all these places, and he eventually ended up in Thailand. And while in Thailand, he married another woman. <laughs> Jim said, I refuse to be alone, okay? I'm going to have a wife. If Jim don't have a wife, this shit ain't right. <laughs> so while he was over there living his life with another woman, Someone happened to see America's Most Wanted and they saw Jim's face on America's Most Wanted. They promptly called the authorities and turned his ass directly the fuck in. On July the 2nd of 2002, he was arrested there in Thailand. He refused to be extradited back to the U.S. and said he would rather stay to jail in Thailand. So he endured a Thailand jail for two years and then he was finally forced to come back to the United States. In March of 2006, Jim Sullivan was convicted for the arranging of his arranging for the murder of his wife in 1987. And he was sentenced to life without parole in a Georgia prison. It took almost 20 years after Lita was killed for Jim to face the band 20 years tony got some time too tony got a few years but i just read that tony actually got out of jail in 20 2018 he got out of jail so he did his time and got out a murderer did his time and got out sounds stupid as shit <laughs> stupid as hell now for like the summation of all this, he basically had her killed because he thought that she was going to take all his money. And it still blows my mind because Lita already had coin. Her parents had coin. She had coin. Her family had coins. She was not worried about your little piece of money, child. She was not. But here's the shade. You end up losing all that shit anyway. Because you in jail for the rest of your life. He lost her, he lost Suki, he lost his Thailand wife, and then he lost all his money. And he damn sure ain't in those social circles up in the Georgia feds. Yeah, all of this was actually about money. And it seems like it was a good idea because he thought he found the right plan, the right man. He thought he could get away with it. He found a way to get his wife killed. But at the end of the day, he didn't cover all his bases. He didn't know who was going to talk. He got ratted out and he got fucking clocked. So it just goes to show, hey, at the end of the day, he probably wasn't ready to be a part of those social circles because we know how the elite get down. They unalive somebody. You never find out who did it. Never. Right? Jeffrey Epstein? Oh, okay. Never anyway, Lita did not deserve what happened to her because she was just a lady trying to live her life and be in love with her husband that she thought was a decent man. He ruined her life. He stole her life. And she only made it past. She was only 34 years old when she died. I think that's an absolute shame. And Jim deserves every day of jail that he gets for the rest of his life. He is 70-something years old now, and it's 100% sure he will die in jail. And that is the sad story of 
Lita McClinton. Money and make you do some wild shit, boy. You can't just have your money and just duck off and live the good life. You gotta want more. You gotta be greedy. You hate to see it. Whew. Thank y'all for listening today. This was a good story. I like this one. It was lots of information. I hope y'all appreciated it. Um, the research and the script on this one was done by me. Thank you. Production by It's the Sweet Talkers Network. Theme song by Remix Maniacs. And make sure you follow me on all social platforms. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok. It's In Killing Color. All one word. I will talk to y'all next time. Bye.